Matt Schaff and Jared Smola of DraftSharks.com here to preview week 10 of fantasy football season for you. But Jared, before we get to any of that, anybody who checked out Tuesday's show knows that I was flying solo because you welcomed your second daughter into the world. So how are the first few days of two kid life treating you? You look a little peaked right now still, I got to say. <laughs> Now this one is, is sleeping unbelievably well, so I can't complain there. I mean, I'm, I'm vastly outnumbered now, you know, three girls in the house to, to just me. Um, but yeah, I was telling you before we went on that I, I thought I was going to have to deliver this baby in our kitchen, but luckily we made it to the hospital just in time. So it's a good story now. Everyone's uh, healthy and happy, so we're good. Yeah, baby's here. Baby's healthy. Jared did not have to deliver the baby. And it came at a time where Jared didn't even have to finish delivering the <laughs> projections for week 10, which, of course, taxed the rest of us. I, we didn't have to call 911 or anything. We made it through. Everything's up on the site and it's working out well. But you welcoming another child into the world. It's interesting timing because tomorrow I'm actually taking my first college visit with my oldest oh my child. God. And it's not like official visit. It's like this open house fair kind of thing. My daughter is a junior in high school, so it's definitely time to be looking into this stuff. But it's funny to me to see those two ends of the parenthood <laughs> right. spectrum, you know, just coming so closely together. I mean, she was, she was what, probably three or four when you started working for, for draft sharks with us. So we're old. We've been doing this a long time. <laughs> That's right. But we're still excited to do it and we're going to keep on doing it. And today that means running through some of the big names in fantasy this week, guys who might have been waiver options, guys who just might have come out of nowhere or might just have issues that we need to get through. And I think we got to start with Keaton Mitchell this week because a week ago, most people didn't know who Keaton Mitchell was. Now everybody's wondering if they should start him in their fantasy lineups for week 10. Of course, nine carries, 139 yards, a touchdown rushing, one catch, which meh, uh, last week in a lopsided win against Seattle. And I think the first thing we have to do, Jared, is look at how that game played out and see if there's anything we can even glean from it. I'm not sure that we can because it was such a lopsided game and Gus Edwards played so little. Yeah, for sure. I mean, 37-3 win for Baltimore. They, the Ravens had 27 running back carries in that game last week. They averaged 21 and a half carries per game for their running backs over the first eight. So more, not 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 a ton more. Mitchell had a 33% carry share for the game. It was a 37% carry share when Lamar Jackson was still in the game. Mitchell got seven of the 19 running back carries. If you give him a 37% carry share of, of the 21 and a half carries that Ravens have averaged over the first eight games, that's almost eight carries per game, which is a level kind of tough to rely on in fantasy lineups. Now, I, I will say like Mitchell might, just emerges their, their best runner or, or at least, you know, kind of take over all of Justice Hill's carries because I think they're kind of most similar, right? You have Gus Edwards more of the between the tackle short yardage guy. I think it's Mitchell and Justice Hill kind of competing for more of that. Um, so I think Mitchell's role needs to grow, but I think it's it's possible. So, you know, he's definitely worth adding. I think he's a lower end option this week and we'll just kind of see how the backfield evolves from here. Yeah, I mean, before last week, Mitchell was doing nothing. He had one touch before last week. So we'll see where it goes from here. The opportunity ahead of him is taking Justice Hill stuff because Justice Hill arrived as, you know, one of those smallish speedy runners. He hasn't delivered on it to this point. If you look at the carries, it looks like Justice Hill got the biggest share in that game. His final five carries came on the team's last drive with Tyler Huntley in the game. When that drive started, he was trailing Keaton Mitchell by a carry. And if I'm a Ravens coach this week, I'm like, whew, we should probably get Keaton Mitchell the ball more or at least keep him involved to the point that he was yeah. 
last week. And, you know, the final piece that we didn't really talk about here is Gus Edwards, who only carried five times in the game. At halftime, it was 4-4-4 among these three players. Then Gus Edwards carried on the first play of the second half and never played again. He came in with a bit of a toe issue, kept him out of practice Wednesday. He was at full Thursday and Friday, so probably not a significant issue. But I would bet that Gus Edwards continues to lead this group. And that Keith Mitchell stays somewhat involved. John Harbaugh has already said you should expect all three of these guys to stay involved. I think the expectation should probably be something in the area of what Jaleel McLaughlin is doing for the Broncos. For what we expect for Keaton Mitchell, we'll see if receiving gets involved in that as well. You know, that's a level that we can't comfortably start most weeks, but if it's a speedy guy in a run happy offense, it's somebody who can pay off if you need to use him. Yeah, I mean, if Mitchell is Jaleel McLaughlin in a much better offense, like that's a win, I think. Um, so that, that's a good comp. I think it's it's interesting, at least. I don't, I don't know if it's telling. It's at least interesting that it was Justice Hill getting all those carries at the end of a, a blowout win for the Ravens. Like, you know, why, why was it not Keaton Mitchell? I'm not saying Mitchell's already passed Hill in the pecking order, but it's interesting. We still need to come back to the fact that Keaton Mitchell's 179 pounds. When I watch him, he doesn't look that small. On the, and I don't know what that means. He doesn't look tiny to me, but, you know, the fact is he's 179 pounds. So he's not going to be someone that gets 15 carries on a regular basis. But if we can get him to eight to 10, and I think the passing game thing is key because Justice Hill's been getting two to four targets in a lot of games. If we can get, you know, three, four targets per game for Keaton Mitchell and, you know, again, like eight to 10 carries, then he's someone who becomes, uh, you know, more, more bankable from week to week. Yeah. And I, I think you're right. He's not somebody that's ever going to be a high volume, you know, touch guy, but did have 174, 201 carries over his final two college seasons, 22 and 27 receptions over his final two college seasons. Was an early declare from East Carolina, did make the roster for the Ravens coming out of camp despite being an undrafted free agent. So they clearly like him. There's some juice here. Somebody worth rostering at this point. Just be careful of expecting too much off of that, you know, absolute ceiling performance the first time that most of us um, heard about it. Most of you, I should say. I've actually had him rostered in the FFPC main event since week two. <laughs> well, we should pat our own backs. I mean, you, you were the one, I think, um, driving the Keaton Mitchell bandwagon, but we, I think, um, highlighted him as a stash back in week four or five, was it? Um, and man, he was going for 300, 400 bucks and, you know, FFPC league last night, you know, 30 to 40% of fab budget. So a good example of, you know, trying to get ahead of this stuff and get these guys rostered before they break out. Yeah. And one broader takeaway from that real quick before we move on is if you do get a situation that isn't totally clear. And in that case, it was Gus Edwards, Justice Hill and Keaton Mitchell, who most people didn't know about. You know, it's a similar situation with the Rams after Kyron Williams went down. If there is this situation that lacks clarity and you don't want to or you lose out on paying top dollar on waivers for the first second options, go ahead and take a shot on that low level guy. At worst, you've spent a few waiver dollars on somebody that does nothing for you and you can dump at some point thereafter. Exactly. Next up on this list, Will Levis and the Titans have said he's starting the rest of the way. And so, Jared, I think it's interesting. And what we need to figure out is just how much it means. And starting to figure that out, uh, I saw a note from friend of the show, Zachary Kruger of NBC Sports. He pointed out that Will Levis and Ryan Tannehill rank first and second in a dot and deep ball rate. That's the percentage of their throws that have gone 20 plus yards downfield among all quarterbacks with 60 plus pass attempts. So Tennessee wants to throw the ball down the field. Now to me, that sets up a boom bust situation with 
guys that we already probably figured were boom bust types. So I guess what do we do with Will Levis and what does that mean for any of his teammates? Yeah, man, Will Levis passes the eye test for me. I mean, his arm is already, you know, in in the upper end of the league. Um, you know, there's some, still some stuff to work out as far as accuracy goes, as far as pocket presence goes and that type of stuff. I mean, the arm talent's obviously there. We talked about this last week. He had six designed carries in his first start. He had zero last week, so we don't like that. I wish they would, you know, keep that involved because he is mobile. He can run. The good news from last week, the Titans were 44% pass in neutral situations in Levis's first start in week eight. That jumped up to 63% in that Thursday night game against the Steelers. So they did throw more, which they're going to need to do it because, you know, fact is this is still a bad pass catching core in Tennessee. It's a bad offensive line. It's a tough spot for a rookie. You know, it's, it's not, it's nothing like CJ Stroud has as far as the weapons he's working with in Houston. So Levis does have the eighth easiest remaining strength to schedule among quarterbacks. So the schedule is going to help him out a little bit. Um, he has a, a decent matchup against Tampa Bay this week. He gets the Colts in week 13, the Dolphins in week 14. So there, there are usable spots. I don't think he's going to become someone we like want to use as a quarterback one though. I think he's going to be useful in two quarterback super flex leagues. I just think the situation is too tough for a rookie to be someone we can, you know, count on as a, as a top 12 quarterback play. I agree. And I wouldn't even consider him a must start for super flex um, just yet. It's possible that he turns into that. And especially yep. this matchup with the Bucks, which we all saw what happened with CJ Stroud, who we'll talk about in a couple minutes. It's an upside spot. I wouldn't be surprised if we get a top 12 week from Will Levis, but it's a little bit early to bet on that coming from him. I do think at least we can reasonably comfortably start DeAndre Hopkins at wide receiver two level this week. He's seen 25% target share over Will Levis's two starts, just a 47% catch rate. He's sitting on career high yards per catch for this season, which speaks to that role and what Tennessee is trying to do passing wise. But Hopkins is also working on the second lowest catch rate, second lowest success rate of his career. Yeah, I actually don't love the way Tennessee's been using Hopkins. Like I think especially at this point of his career, he'd be better as a shorter range guy or at least more short range stuff. But what Hopkins is doing does fit what Levis is, right? He has the huge arm. He wants to throw downfield. So I still think Levis is, you know, better news for Hopkins than than what, you know, Ryan Tannehill would have been if he had come back and, and, and got back under center. At the very least, he's interesting. So we'll see where it goes from here. We'll also see where Bijan Robinson goes from here. Jared, we can all agree that the overall usage is absurdly low for Bijan Robinson just because he was a running back drafted eighth overall, and especially because it has declined recently. If we throw out the migraine game against the Bucks, his two lowest touch counts of the season have come the past two weeks. That just... That shouldn't happen unless the guy that you drafted is disappointing you. We haven't gotten any indication that that's the case. So is there any chance, one, that we get a get-right spot for B. John Robinson against Arizona this week? And two, is there any like buy-low upside to him right now? Just looking at the last two weeks, you know, his like playing time and his share of the rushing attempts that that hasn't really declined. So I don't think like his, his role is declining. It's just, you know, game flow or the fact that, you know, maybe Atlanta just didn't run run as many plays last couple of weeks um, is why you, you got fewer touches from Bijan. I don't think he's like a buy low though. I kind of just think he is what he is at this point in the season. Like, I don't think it's a situation where they're, 
waiting to ramp up his his role as we get you know to the second half of the year. So if you look at Bijan so far, if you do omit that week seven game where he he barely played, he's 17th among running backs in expected PPR points per game. He's 15th among running backs in actual PPR points per game. So he's just an RB2. I think if you treat him as RB2, I mean, I know that's not what you drafted him as, but I, I think he's still startable. He's still useful. I don't think you're going to get, you know, top five numbers out of him. The Falcons do have the third easiest remaining running back schedule. They have a bunch of good matchups, especially late in the season. They get um, Carolina in week 15, who, you know, the Panthers might be the best running back matchup. And then they get the Colts in week 16. So even if Robinson's role doesn't grow, like those matchups could could make him someone who is, you know, helping you win playoffs. And of course, if there's a Tyler Algier injury, then we should get more uh, work for <laughs> Bijan Robinson from there. So we'll see. It, it's disappointing. But yeah, as long as you change your thinking, there's room for him to potentially help you. CJ Stroud helped you big time in week nine if you started him against the Bucks. Rookie record, 470 passing yards, five touchdowns in that game. And now because of just how much he scored in that game, it's almost impossible to completely exclude recency bias and judge CJ Stroud for this week and going forward, Jared. So the question on him is, is he too high in whether it's our rankings or everybody's rankings this week? I, I, I doubt that there's anybody that really has him outside of the top five for week 10. So is that too high and where should we set him going forward? I think I would actually have him outside the top five. No, not, not by a lot. He's a tough guy to sit because we, we've talked all year. He's been playing awesome all year. The fantasy production hasn't always been there. I mean, just two weeks ago against Carolina, he finished quarterback 25. Last week was his first fantasy finish better than quarterback seven. He only has two weeks better than quarterback 10. Um, so, you know, he's he's been more of a low-end quarterback one in terms of fantasy production. You look at this week. They're on the road against Cincinnati. The Bengals are 10th in pass defense DVOA. They're 18th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterback. So it's not it's not a horrible matchup, but it's not you know an, an awesome matchup. It's definitely tougher than last week against Tampa, who's who's really been struggling lately. Look at Houston's implied point total, 20.25. It's just 17th on the week. The Texans are implied for fewer points than the Cardinals, the Bears, the Steelers, and the Patriots, which I think is crazy. Like if, you know, if I could bet it straight up. I'd bet on Houston not scoring all four of those teams, I think. But, you know, again, these odds makers know what they're doing. So I think it's worth weighing that in. Just looking at our rankings. I mean, I'd start Justin Herbert and Jared Goff over CJ Stroud this week. If that hide that decision, I might start Geno Smith over CJ Stroud this week in that Washington matchup. That's just been so good all year. I'd have Stroud around you know, like quarterback six, seven, eight, somewhere in that range. I mean, he's, he's a nice quarterback one this week, but I, I do think um, got to be careful not to overreact to what we saw last week. Yeah, here are his fantasy finishes to date, and you mentioned the QB 25, but from week one, 21st, 7th, 11th, 10th, 17th, 12th, 25th, first last week. So if you ranked him third or fourth this week based on everything before last week, it would have looked a little bit crazy, and somebody would wonder why you're so high on CJ Stroud. Now we have the one you know, whatever is above a ceiling game, a heavenly game. I don't know what it is, but you know, it's, it's breaking our thinking on him, and it's necessarily so really, because if, if that is possible, then we have to at least include that possibility. We have him ninth currently in our rest of way quarterback rankings. I think that's a fair level. Like I said, fourth at the moment in our week 10 rankings against Cincinnati, but it is a tougher matchup than it probably looks 18th by our adjusted fantasy points allowed, but the Bengals have actually faced a pretty good slate of quarterbacks. They've allowed the 22nd most total touchdowns to QBs, which is pretty good. Only nine touchdown passes versus 11 interceptions. The only quarterback 
all year so far to actually throw more touchdown passes than interceptions against the Bengals has been Lamar Jackson back in week two. Four quarterbacks have added 44 plus rushing yards, but that's not an area Stroud's contributed so far. He's averaging 9.8 yards per game. So I agree. I think that he needs to be lower and it's easier though to say, I think CJ Stroud should be QB six, QB seven this week. Then if you look at the names and you mentioned some of them, but here are the next seven guys behind him in our rankings at the moment, Dak Prescott, Sam Howell, Justin Herbert, Jared Goff, Geno Smith, Brock Purdy, Trevor Lawrence. It's much easier to say, I think three of these guys outscore him this week than to say, I start these three guys over him this week. I would start Dak over him because he's been playing well. He's got more behind him. He's got a fine matchup. I think the only question is if he stays in the game long enough, but if he leaves that game early, it's probably because they scored a bunch of points. Sam Howell has been pretty good. I could go either way on that one. Justin Herbert has not been so good. I, I, I wouldn't argue with starting Justin Herbert over him. I'm not sure how comfy I am. Jared Goff. Another could go either way. Geno Smith, I'd have a really hard time clicking in my lineup over CJ Stroud after the way things have gone. And then, you know, it's a, the, the couple other guys are, are kind of more either yeah. way players as well. Yeah, I get it on Geno, but, you know, he's going from a matchup against, you know, Baltimore, who is maybe the best defense in the NFL, to Washington, who at least against the pass is one of the worst. Even if you look at our projections, I mean, Stroud is leading a tier of, you know, Stroud down to Geno Smith is basically basically separated by a point in our projection. So those guys are all pretty close. I think you can make an argument for any of those guys in there. Last note I had on the Texans, they did lean super pass heavy last week, which was a big change from what they'd done their previous uh, seven or eight games or whatever it was. Um, now, Tampa's been a defense that has led opposing offenses to lean pass, so maybe it was a matchup thing. We also heard D'Amico Ryans talk about after the game how their running game just hasn't been good this year, which is definitely true, and they have this superb rookie quarterback with a great group of pass catchers. So I know Ryan's is a defensive head coach and you'd probably love to establish the run and all that stuff. But um, I think it makes sense for Houston to continue leaning toward the pass. And if they do that, that's kind of what Stroud needs to, you know, produce more like he did this past week than he did over the first, you know, seven or eight games of the season. Yeah. I mean, that could be the one hurdle for him to clear to just be like QB six the rest of the way. Cause he's playing well. Yeah. And if you've caught any of the clips of him breaking down plays or sequences of plays in post-game press conferences you can see it's not just a guy who's talented playing well he knows every he remembered every single detail from their game-winning drive against the Bucks, just you know spitting it back out to reporters and remember this is the guy who yeah. famously did poorly <laughs> on the IQ testing coming out of the uh, combine so it, it, the guy it has everything going for him right now and as far as a rookie quarterback don't want to overrate him too much but it's going well they should be throwing the ball more going forward because it just makes sense for what they have going on. And that can certainly establish him as a guy that we want to start regularly. I think Stroud's putting the S2 test out of business. Yeah, I hope so. On to Kyler Murray, who is coming back into business this week, and maybe James Conner with him as well. Looks like both of those guys should return to the Cardinals lineup. Kyler Murray, certainly James Conner will watch into the weekend. So, Jared, what is the impact? And obviously, it's it's the individual players first, where exactly you're going to put them in the rankings, but then yeah. other guys around them. So I guess first, who is the highest ranked quarterback that you would be willing to start Kyler Murray over in your week 10 lineup? You know, Trevor Lawrence at quarterback 11 is kind of the end of a tier for me. I would start Baker Mayfield against Tennessee and Derek Carr 
against Minnesota over Kyler. But at that point, then you start getting to like Russell Wilson, Josh Dobbs, Taylor Heineke. I think that's kind of where Kyler Murray should slot in. Um, he does get Atlanta this week. They're 27th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. I think, I, I think Kyler's range of outcomes is wider than those other guys I mentioned. I mean, there's just a lot of moving pieces here. It's a, you know, remember, this is a brand new offense that he, you know, didn't practice in until what two or three weeks ago he, he got back on the practice field and even then he wasn't getting a lot of the first team reps because they still had to prepare Josh Dobbs and then Clayton Toon to start so and then you have of course how much and how effective he's is he going to be running you know coming off the ACL I'm kind of optimistic about the rushing stuff um, I think you know they've they've played it safe with his return right he was you know cleared a couple weeks ago but they they you know let him get a couple full weeks of practice in and, and also remember Josh Dobbs averaged 4.3 design carries per game as the cardinal starter he was actually third among all quarterbacks in total design carries through week 8 so it's not like they have to even change the offense to you know let kyler do some of this rushing stuff and i don't think he's going to be as effective as a runner you know still less than 12 months removed from, from the acl but if if they just let him run and he gets, you know, 68 carries per game. That's that's very useful from a fantasy perspective. So definitely a QB2 only this week. I think there's a chance, though, in a couple of weeks, we're at least talking about Murray as, you know, like a, a low-end quarterback one option. Yeah, and we certainly have to start conservatively on what we expect rushing-wise. I would expect that Arizona coaches don't want to design a whole lot of running for him right away, but obviously they know better than we do just how ready that knee is for all this stuff. You mentioned some of the guys that he's around and I think he's in a fine spot in our rankings. It's QB 17 at the moment. Obviously that's on the conservative side, especially for a matchup that's favorable passing at home against Atlanta, but that's kind of how you have to project it. We have no idea how he's going to be in this game. We know he's a better player than a lot of the quarterbacks in front of him right now. We know that he can run when healthy, but we don't know how healthy that knee is. And we don't know if there's just going to be some rust. If he came out this week and he just plays a poor game, we can't be like, well, how did that happen? The guy hasn't played football since the beginning of last December. Oh, yeah, that's how it happened. <laughs> so you have to be conservative in projecting him. But. If I'm deciding between Kyler Murray, Taylor Heineke, Josh Dobbs, Russ Wilson, Derek Carr, even up to Baker Mayfield, I think it's okay if you're like, I'm going to take a shot on Kyler Murray and see what happens. But know that the safer route is to play somebody like Baker and Derek Carr this week just because they've been on the field. They're playing decently enough. They have enough around them to help. Agreed. Completely. James Conner, I mean, we'll see exactly where he slots in. It should be fairly high. The question there will be how much work he gets, but the rest of the Arizona backfield has stunk while he was out, and it sounds like they're excited to get him back. So I would assume something close to his normal work share. Yeah, I think the interesting thing with Conner is, um, you know, so in, in the first four games when he was healthy, he was 20th among running backs in PPR points per game, which is actually better than the usage he was getting. He was 27th and expected. PPR points per game. Connor was losing passing game work, especially his final couple games to Amari Di Mercado. Di Mercado still hurt. Um, you know, he missed last week's game and did not practice on Wednesday. So I, I do think if Di Mercado is out, that you know Connor picks some more of that passing game work back up. Um, you know, decent matchup for him. Atlanta is a bit better against the run than the pass, but um, I think you know Connor with four teams on by and the, the general issues at running back. Like I think Connor's a pretty decent RB two play right out of the gate. And for what it's worth, some short passes, screen passes to a running back are a good way to get some of that short stuff going without having to scheme in quarterback runs and without having to make all of it rushing plays. So maybe we get a little yeah. bit more of that in Kyler Murray's first game back. Of course, Marquise Brown, Trey McBride, there's some impact there by extension. It can only be good, I would think, even if it's not good immediately in this first game back. It sure looks potentially good going forward. I think that Marquise Brown looks like a buy and Jared, he, he appeared 
in our dynasty trade targets this week. Like I think he's a redraft buy. I think he's also a dynasty buy based on Kyler Murray returning and just, you know, based on yeah. where he is career wise and how he's done in target share this year. Yeah, agree. He's a dynasty buy. I mean, this is a former first round pick who, you know, maybe hasn't delivered to that level, but he's, he's been solid throughout his NFL career so far. He's either going to have Kyler Murray as his quarterback next year or a, you know, top five rookie pick. And it's a good, uh, rookie quarterback class coming in. So he's going to have a nice quarterback or at least the potential to have a nice quarterback. So I like him as a buy in dynasty. I think Marquise Brown's one of the best redraft buys right now to, to assume you can get him for, you know, like wide receiver three type of price tag this year, Marquise Brown is 12th among wide receivers and targets. He's 18th in expected fantasy points per game. He's just 34th in actual PPR points per game because the quarterback play has been so bad. We saw this last year too, in games last year for Marquise Brown without Deandre Hopkins. Brown averaged 9.6 targets per game, 6.3 catches, 69 receiving yards, 0.4 touchdowns per game. Those numbers would have made him wide receiver 14 in PPR points on the year, which I think is a level Brown can get back to if, you know, Kyler Murray can you know be something close to what he was pre-injury. The Cardinals also have the fifth best remaining uh, strength of schedule at wide receiver. I think he's going to be a really solid wide receiver to play the rest of the season. And for longer term purposes, there's one more possibility that you didn't bring up. You said um, he could have Kyler Murray or a top QB prospect next year. Marquise Brown also could have a new home because his contract is set to expire in March. So even if he doesn't stick with the Cardinals, there's the open market ahead of him. And, you know, sometimes that uncertainty can make fantasy players worry, but it can also be upside just as much as downside. So I think all of it combined with the fact that Marquise Brown hasn't done anything special scoring wise this year makes him a fairly easy buy because you don't have to invest too much to take a shot on, you know, whatever you think the upside might be rest of the season beyond that. This is also the time of year, speaking of looking ahead, that you want to look ahead in the fantasy schedule, start looking toward playoff weeks in fantasy, even the weeks in between now and the playoffs that might help you get into the playoffs or might keep you from making the playoffs if you play it poorly. Strength of schedule pages on DraftSharks.com are ready to help with that. We've got every position covered, including the IDPs. We've got every matchup on the schedule rated by our adjusted fantasy points allowed. That takes actual fantasy points allowed by that team to that position and adjusts for opponent because... There's a big difference between getting lit up by Josh Allen and getting lit up by Josh Dobbs. So you can go to the strength of schedule page. You can sort by any week. You can sort by the rest of the season schedule and you can customize it to look at any span of games within that. If you just want to see the next three weeks, you just want to see the fantasy playoffs. You can whittle it down to that. See who has the best run in there. You can even click to show past weeks. If you want to see how a guy fared in previous matchups that were good or bad, if it mattered for that specific player. So Jared, with that strength of schedule as our base, give me a specific team and position that you are looking to target going forward for your fantasy teams. Well, I'm going to give you a full team and it's just the Lions offense in general. Um, If you do look at our strength of schedule, second easiest for quarterbacks, the Lions, uh, sixth easiest for running backs, 21st for wide receivers, the easiest remaining schedule for tight ends. So all these guys have nice schedules the rest of the way. The other reason I like the Lions going forward, they have three home games remaining. They have five road games, but only Chicago is an outdoor game with weather concerns. The Lions' other road games are Los Angeles this weekend, the Saints in a dome, Minnesota in a dome, Dallas in a dome. So 
we talk about Jared Goff sometimes struggling in, you know, colder weather. That That's not going to be a concern down the stretch here outside of that one game in Chicago. So I think the Lions offense, uh, you know, with the backfield healthy again, with everyone healthy at this point, for the most part, I think this offense could could really explode the rest of the way. Yeah, I agree with that. It looks like a team to target in many ways. And one I mentioned on the Tuesday show, and we'll mention again in another context here. I've got the Seattle schedule up. I think it's interesting for a couple of different reasons. Second best remaining schedule for wide receiver scoring with just one red matchup among the eight remaining. And by red, I'm talking about negative. Obviously, it makes sense. The strongly positive matchups on strength of schedule pages are green. The bad ones are red. Neutral ones are black. We've got four straight green ones to close the fantasy schedule. So that's nice for Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf. It's the ninth best for QB scoring. So to me, Jared, there are plenty of people right now like, do I just drop Geno Smith for somebody that's actually useful? Do I drop him this week for Josh Dobbs? The quick answer is you can without probably without regretting it too much. But the reason I'm not just giving up on Geno Smith is because that schedule looks so good the rest of the way. <laughs> Starting with Washington this week, it's quite possible that a week from now you're like, crap, why did I drop Geno Smith? He just put up a big game. So I'm intrigued by the Seattle passing game the rest of the way. And on the other side, it's the second worst remaining schedule for running backs. So we're already concerned about that Seattle backfield, which has gotten a little muddied in recent weeks. It's a good time to just be out on it if you can be and kind of put your chips on the passing game instead. Yeah, I noticed that schedule for, for you know, Ken Walker, primarily the second toughest running back strength of schedule for Seattle. And the thing too with Walker, I think you know, game flow is important. You know, we saw it last week with Seattle playing way from behind. You know, that's that's especially when they want to get Charbonnet on the field because they like him in pass protection. I think they like him as a pass catcher even more than Ken Walker. So game flow matters for Walker. Look at Seattle's schedule. I think four straight weeks from week 12 to week 15, they're going to be underdogs. They play San Francisco, Dallas, San Francisco again, and then Philadelphia. Seattle's going to be underdogs in all four of those games. There's a good chance they're playing from behind in all four of those games. And all four of those teams have, you know, pretty tough run defenses. So you might kind of be selling low on Walker, trading him right now, coming off a few underwhelming games. But if you can get still even you know, like lower end running back one value from him in a trade, I think it might be worth uh, considering that. Yeah, you always want to try to sell high on somebody, but you know, sometimes you just got to be like, all right, I want to get out of this guy and it's, it's time now before it gets worse. It probably going to take a multiplayer trade. I think going one for one, Ken Walker versus other guys, you're not going to get somebody that you love right now, but you can do multiplayer trades and make it work out. Also on the negative schedule side, the Saints have the worst running back schedule over the next three weeks, the worst over the next four weeks. And Jared, that for me is just another reason to try to trade Alvin Kamara, who was already highlighted in our trade targets article this week. That's on DraftSharks.com. Yeah, the schedule is no good for, for Kamara. I mean, he you know, he does do a lot in the passing game, which helps, right? Like that he's not as matchup dependent as some other running backs like Ken Walker, for example. I mean, the other thing with Kamara, I know we're talking about schedules, but Taysom Hill is just impacting everyone else in that offense with the type of role he's playing, especially in the red zone. I mean, you know, we haven't seen Kamara score many touchdowns because Taysom Hill is getting all those carries from inside the 10. So yeah, I agree that um, Kamara is, is a pretty decent you know, sell candidate right now. Why hasn't this just been happening for all of the past three years, by the way? Why do we have to guess at what Taysom Hill's role is? And then all of a sudden he's like, oh yeah, we're going to do something with Taysom Hill every week. Just like it seemed like we should have been doing all season when our offense is struggling. But yeah, it's it's one thorn in, in Alvin Kamara right now looking further into the trade in case you hear it and you're like wait a second why would i trade alvin kamara he's caught a ton of passes since he came back that's certainly true 
Last week, he played the smallest snap share that he has played at all <laughs> since November of 2020. And I don't want to overrate that one game, but that followed a playing time dip the week before. And both of those games have come since Dennis Allen said, I want to spread things around the backfield a little bit more. So there's reason to believe that we don't get quite as many Alvin Kamara touches the rest of the way as we did in those first five or six games after he came back. What other schedules are you wary of the rest of the way? We talked about Tua Tagovailoa in the, in the Dolphins schedule a few weeks ago. And yeah, I, I think now is kind of when he's going to be getting into the toughest of it. I mean, Kansas City was tough last week. Dolphins go on by this week. But Tua still has two games remaining against the Jets who have shut down a handful of elite quarterbacks already this season, including Justin Herbert this past week. Tua also still has, so he gets the Jets in week 15, you know, the first week of the fantasy playoffs in a lot of leagues. He gets Dallas week 16 and Baltimore week 17. So it's a brutal stretch of opponents in the fantasy playoffs. And we've seen Tua be matchup dependent all season, really. I mean, he was quarterback 14 against a tough Chiefs defense last week. He's now been outside the top 12 fantasy quarterbacks in five of his nine games. And he's had these spike weeks where he's been a top three fantasy quarterback a few times, but he's also, you know, kind of hurt you in over half of his games. And I think based on how the schedule looks, there's going to be a lot more games um, over the rest of the season. Again, especially in the playoffs where he's you know, not helping you and he might be hurting you. Um, what about positive side? We'll finish the schedule portion on that. Yeah, I think the 49ers pass game. Um, so it's third easiest for quarterbacks. It's the easiest remaining schedule for wide receivers. The Niners also have the ninth toughest running back schedule and Christian McCaffrey is going to be fine. I'm not saying you need to worry about Christian McCaffrey, but like it, it would just, it kind of, it, it's a schedule that might push the 49ers to pass a bit more than they have been. So I think Debo Samuel is the guy that sticks out to me as a potential buy candidate this week. I mean, I know his owners held on to him through the injury and all that, and he's coming back this week. So it might be tough to acquire him, but he was disappointing for, you know, his last couple games before getting hurt. Um, I think if he can stay healthy with this schedule going forward that Debo could be a big time asset the rest of the way and then the, you know the Chargers have the easiest remaining running back strength of schedule their last four games the Chargers are against bottom nine running back defenses Austin Eckler you know he's he's scored I think in each of the last two games he's been okay from a fantasy perspective but he hasn't been dominant I wonder if there's any buy window for Austin Eckler um, with an awesome schedule down the stretch. You know, he, he's putting the high ankle sprain further and further behind him. I think you know, in those last four games, as the schedule really lightens up, like that's when Eckler might be, you know, finally getting back to hundred percent off that ankle injury. So he could be someone that, you know, is that, you know, the RB one during the fantasy playoffs and sort of is the guy you need to have to win championships. So, you know, may, maybe consider uh, making a trade offer for Eckler this week. Yeah, I think that their schedule is especially interesting for looking at the running backs because, you know, like you said, it's the best overall, but it's a drastic split. They're ninth worst over the next four weeks and then best by a wide margin over the final four weeks. So, you know, depending on when your trade deadline is, there could be little buy windows all in there if we get yep. some disappointing outings from Austin Eckler in spots that just aren't favorable to running backs. We'll see about his passing game role. I mean, that's the area that should make him different from any running back and, and matchup resistant more than other guys at the position, but it hasn't quite been what we would like it to be. I would think that the chargers would look to get more of that going with him because the passing game in general hasn't been awesome since Mike Williams went down. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Maybe there's not really a buy window, but it's at least worth being aware of and looking into if you are looking to try to trade away Alvin Kamara, try to pick up Austin Eckler, or just go after anybody else. You'll be happy to find our upgraded trade navigator now live on DraftSharks.com. We've got the MVP trade values customized to your league. We've got advanced league analysis, much more. So check it out. 
make your team better. And Jared, let's close this out with streaming defenses for next week. And I already kind of did this on the week 10 waiver pod because my pickup on defense, my top pickup is not one that has an awesome spot this week, but it's Detroit going against the Chargers. And then beyond that, a team that you can start six weeks straight. So what do you like for week 11 on defense? Yep. I Detroit is my top pickup this week for sure. I'm sure they're available in plenty of leagues because they're not a great start this week against the Chargers, but Detroit definitely a case where I'd be fine rostering two defenses. And then, you know, whoever your other defense is, you can just drop them after this week and use Detroit for the next, you know, five or six weeks, whatever it is. Um, I think the Dolphins at home for Vegas is my next best favorite streaming defense for week 11. Aiden O'Connell played okay last week. It was a game they were able to kind of hide him though, because, you know, they, they played from ahead of the Tommy DeVito led Giants for a lot of that game. But I think, you know, in Miami, the Raiders are going to be, you know, 10 plus point underdogs. So there's probably going to be a lot of dropping back for Aiden O'Connell. I think that makes the Dolphins defense that's playing better. Now we saw them limit the Chiefs for a lot of that game in Germany. They've been better lately. They're getting you know, healthier with Jalen Ramsey back and all that. So it's, it's, it's a defense that's ascending in a, in a really nice matchup, I think, in, in uh, week 11. And they'll probably be inconsistent in their performance overall, but the Dolphins have the pieces to put up good fantasy defense weeks at any time. And even beyond that Raiders matchup, the following week, they're at the Jets, then they're at the Commanders, then they're home for the Titans, then they're home for the Jets. So there's some of that same Lions potential to the Dolphins where you can pick them up and just kind of keep them for a while and see how much you can use them. You know, we'll see over those first couple of matchups just how usable they are. And if they're not, you drop them for something else because that's how defense works. So check the strength of schedule pages to look ahead for matchups like the ones we're talking about. The free agent finder will also cover you on that matchup front for the current week as well as the week ahead. That the trade navigator, strength of schedule pages, much more, all things we've built and we will continue to upgrade and monitor because we want to help you win your league.